Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place tonight. May we encounter your presence here. I can already feel you. Lord, I pray for your anointing on this message. I pray that your word will be spoken tonight, Heavenly Father, to each and every person here and myself. We thank you so much for the giving of your Holy Spirit, the one who enables everything. Use me tonight, Lord, as a vessel. Speak through me tonight and prepare the hearts of those listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you could remain standing. I gotcha, I do. You're going to try to sit down. If you could open up the word to Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. This is a great passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. You may be seated. I have a question for you. Have you ever been in church? I know you've all been in church. You better have. But have you ever been in church and you see somebody coming towards you? Now, you, you're standing here and you're minding your own business. And this person starts coming towards you with this look on their face. The person that everybody tries to avoid in the church. She has a paper in one hand and a pen in the other and a grin from ear to ear and you just know she's going to ask you to do something? Yes, you all know that. And probably with as many pastors as we have and many people in ministry here, you've probably been that person at one point in time. <laughs> well, let me tell you, this happened to me. I started going to a, a church of about 80, a Nazarene church in Maine, about nine years ago. Well, about a year after I had been going, the pastor and his wife were leaving, and the pastor's wife was the Sunday school superintendent. And she came up to me, and she got me cornered, and she said, you know, we really need a Sunday school superintendent. Would you like to be the Sunday school superintendent? And I went, no. 
Uh, no. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I became the Sunday School Superintendent after the sob story, you know, nobody will take the position. We need somebody. You're the only one. And then I thought, yeah, I'm probably the last one you asked. I'm really probably not the one for this job. But anyway, I took the position. But I want to tell you something. Not only did I take that position, but you know what that did for me? That put me on the board. And I was not ready for any of that. See, Sundays I would go and I would do my ministry. I was doing all right at it. But Monday through Saturday, I lived the life I wanted to live. And you know why that was? Because I had not surrendered my life to God yet. I couldn't love these people I was ministering to. I really couldn't. I remember. You know how some of them are not so lovable? I had a hard time to love. And that's because I didn't realize that ministry must come from God's transforming grace. And we see that here in this passage. Just as I had this encounter with God, I eventually had an encounter with God where he changed that. And I began to love and the ministry began to flow from God through me. So the same thing happens here for Isaiah in this passage. Now as we begin this passage, we're going to see first that Isaiah was called by God. Okay, he was called by God. And I'm going to give you a little bit of history. A little bit of a history lesson here, because I think it's so fascinating with this passage, and it shows how God was just completely in control all the time. He illustrates God's calling very beautifully and vividly in this passage. However, I must admit that I, when I first read, in the year that King Uzziah died, I thought, what does that have to do with this vision? But you know, it had to have been very important to Isaiah for him to put it there. Do you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? You all know what I'm talking about. When the two planes flew into the Twin Towers in New York City, I was back in Maine. No, I don't live anywhere near beaches. But I was back in Maine, and I was sitting in my daughter's homeschool room. And I looked over into the next room where the television was on, and what I saw was a horrific sight. I saw black smoke billowing everywhere and people trying to jump to their safety, buildings crumbling down, debris flying everywhere. And after the initial shock, I remember thinking, this is going to change the face of this nation. This is a crisis that we are in. And September 11th is also my birthday. And I have to tell you, I'll never view my birthday in quite the same way. As a matter of fact, I don't even want to tell anybody that's my birthday because that's the first thing they say to me. I'm sorry, they say. <laughs> well, in order to appreciate the significance of this, we need to realize that just as America was going through a time of crisis and transition, so was Judah at this particular time. You see, King Uzziah, he was a prosperous king. He reigned for 52 years in Judah. He built <laughs> towers. His land was fertile. God gave him success. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But you know, that ended. As everyone knew back then, only a priest in the line of Aaron could burn incense on the altar of incense. Well, what does King Uzziah do? He burns incense on the altar of incense. 
What's his sentence? Leprosy, and he dies sometime in the year that King Uzziah writes this passage, that Isaiah writes the passage. This marked a beginning of a new era for Judah. No longer would peace and prosperity reign. As we know from the scripture, Judah falls further into idolatry and further and further away from God. The land of Judah was in a transition heading for crisis. And due to this transition taking place, there is no doubt here why God gave Isaiah this vision at this particular time. He had a plan for Isaiah. He was going to work through Isaiah. Well, you know, not only did he choose this specific time to call, but he chose a very unique way of revealing himself as well. We see in verses 1 through 4 that Isaiah enters the temple and he sees the Lord high and exalted. Oh, can you imagine? Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine yourself coming in here to Strickland Chapel. One night, all alone by yourself. Now this is a place that you come to very often, just like you are right now. Just like Isaiah did the temple. But this time, as you come in and you pull open those double doors, you see the glory of God everywhere. The train of his robe is filling the chapel, not only filling it, but engulfing you. And then you look up and you see the seraphs, these heavenly beings flying around, covering their faces, covering their feet. And you think, wow, why are they covering their feet? I can understand why they would cover their eyes. Because no one can look upon the glory of God and live. But why would they cover their feet? And then a startling revelation comes to you. If these heavenly beings need to cover their feet in the presence of the Almighty God, how much more should we be humbled in the presence of our Lord God Almighty? And in this humbled state brought on by God's holiness, the seraphs shout, sing shouts of praises, Holy, holy, holy. Many have thought this to represent the Trinity. And as a matter of fact, we find in the book of John, chapter 12, verse 41, that John refers to this vision by saying of Isaiah, he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. This is so powerful. This was Isaiah's call to come into the presence of God. He walked into a heavenly worship service attended by the triune God himself. Now everybody here in this room has been called. And in this context, we're not really in call, talking about initial call into ministry. We're more talking about a call to step it up a notch. A call to a deeper relationship with him. A call to personal transformation. Now some of you, all of you here, most everybody's going to ministry. Even if you're not attending Bible college, God has something planned for you, some sort of ministry. And in light of that, we need to be open to coming in to the presence of God all the time. Therefore, we see that God not only calls us to himself, but he also cleanses us despite ourselves. This is exactly what he did for Isaiah. You see, the scene before Isaiah has opened his eyes 
to the holiness of God. We see God's transforming grace at work here. As the seraphim sing praises to God, the doorposts and the thresholds shake and smoke fills the temple. Now some have thought that that is the anger of God. I disagree. I think that's the glory of God being shown here. Oh, how powerful. And as the glory of God surrounds the sanctuary, when you are in a church service, the glory of God, when it is surrounding the sanctuary, don't you feel as though the roof is just going to raise off the building? Like you can't sit in your seat any longer. This is what was going on here. And you know, whichever the case, whether it's the anger of God or it's the glory of God being revealed here, it doesn't matter. What God wants from us, he demands fear and reverence from his people. So just as Isaiah declares in verse 5, when confronted with the holiness of God, so should we have no other response than to say, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. You know, that can seem convicting and hurtful sometimes to think of something like that, but you know it's not that at all. It is hope. It is hope. For all of us were created in the image of our holy God, and he desires nothing more than to bring us back to that image. And it's only when we come to the realization that we need to be transformed that God can work through us. And he does this by removing both personal sin and the inbred sin within us by sanctifying our lives. Now in verse 6, we see that the seraph flies over to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand, and he touches Isaiah's mouth. He says to Isaiah, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Don't you think that that's interesting, that he only touched his lips? I mean, when I first read this passage, I said, God, touch me everywhere. Don't only touch my lips. Cleanse me. <laughs> But you know, this is God's refining fire, and the very reason why he only touches Isaiah's lips is that Isaiah would go on to be the greatest prophet of Old Testament times. He would be a mouthpiece for God. He would share the truth to people everywhere. That's why his lips were touched. And in Jeremiah 1.9, he does the same thing for, I did, I, uh, for Jeremiah. He touches his lips, and he commissions him to go. You know, Isaiah needed God to burn away through his refining fire anything that could keep him from being fully devoted to God. This is a wonderful, wonderful demonstration of our Wesleyan holiness heritage. As we confess and repent and humble ourselves before God, he not only forgives, but he cleanses us the very core of our being. And after sanctifying our hearts and lives, it is then that God sends us to do his work. For it is then and only then that we're able to serve him with our whole hearts. So far as we have seen, God calls us. And God cleanses us. And finally, he commissions us for his purposes.
You see, immediately, immediately after God burns away the sin in Isaiah's life, it seems as though Isaiah instantly hears God's voice. Now that the cleansing process had, been take, had taken place, there was nothing between him and God anymore. Just as when Jesus died, there was a direct pathway made for you and I to God, so the same thing happened here for Isaiah. No clutter in the mess of the sin. It was gone. Isaiah was now free to commune with God and to understand God's will for his life. Now picture this with me, if you will. God up there in his heavenly courtroom. Now I know we're personifying God a little bit here, but that's okay for this illustration. He's up in the heavenly courtroom, and he takes his left hand, and he's got his right elbow sitting on his left hand, and he's stroking his chin, pondering this difficult question. Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, it did not happen that way. You see, God had this all planned way from the beginning. He knew who was going to go for him. He knew who he would send, but he needed to have Isaiah come to him and give him a response. And that is exactly what happens here. You know, we need to realize that ministry flows from God in his transforming grace. We are sadly mistaken if we believe that it's of ourselves. So what we must do, just as Isaiah did, is respond. And this is exactly what Isaiah does. Here am I! Send me! That's what he says. Notice that, though. He doesn't say, well, let me think about it for a little while. And you know what, God? If you send me to Hawaii, I'll go. But I'm really not wanting to go to Africa. He doesn't say any of that. And on a more serious note, he doesn't even ask God to protect him. He doesn't ask anything of God before he says, here am I, send me. You know, I had to think about that and say, you know, I said I'm graduating next year in 2006. We're going to have to be thinking about where we're going and praying about that. Could I do that? With no information, just get up and go? Can I do that? Can you do that? That's a tough question. Well, in light of what we've heard tonight, we must pause to reflect upon this vision and how it pertains to our lives. We must first ask ourselves, is God calling us to himself? Has God been trying to get our attention in any way? Each and every one of you in this room has been called to ministry. And we remember that day that that happened, or that point in time when he called. And look at you, you've all been faithful to that call. Here you sit at Nazarene Bible College, preparing to counsel or to preach or teach the word of God, and that is commendable. But even in light of that, we must examine ourselves. Is God calling us to step it up a notch? Is he calling us to a deeper personal relationship with him that requires a personal transformation of our hearts and lives? Is there something in our lives that has not been burnt away by God's refining fire? Is there something that we have not yielded to his lordship yet? 
We can't understand God's will for our life without doing this. And let me tell you something, before we go out there, we have got to be right with God, and we've got to be cleansed in here. Ministry must flow from God's transforming grace. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, follow me, follow me. That's what ministry flows from. Missionary J. Hudson Taylor reveals what God said to him when he was called into the ministry. God said to me, I am going to evangelize China, and if you will walk with me, I will do it through you. So just as Isaiah experienced God's transforming grace in this passage that enabled and empowered his ministry, so do we need to come to a point of realization that ministry flows from God's transforming grace. Many of us have come out here to NBC filled with hope and expectation of what God will do through us for others. And over time, we have found that it has been a struggle. Health issues, family life, school, work, and all these things begin to take priority in our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with your family being priority. But there is. If God is not priority, God has to come first above it all. We come out here, we become distant from God. We lose sight of the one who has done the calling and enables the ministry in the first place. We must allow ourselves to be transformed by the grace of God. If anyone here tonight has lost sight of God, if anyone here must be cleansed by God's refining fire, now is the time. Not later when we're out in the ministry. We need to be prepared. Now is the time. All that we do, starting right here at NBC, must flow from our relationship with God. It must flow from God's transforming grace.